Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. everybody welcome back to stateside madness this is the podcast by american fans for american fans i'm Lori, and i'm polly and it's been a while hasn't it polly well for us not for the listeners we put quite a few podcasts in the can as it were and we took a little bit of time off but you wouldn't know out there in podcast listener land so yeah for me and Lori, we're just seeing and talking to each other after almost a month off was that it yeah yeah so it, it's been a while how you been things are good in uh stateside madness fan land at least on my end how about you doing okay i'm finally off the crutches and i'm starting physical therapy next week Yay. Well, there we go yeah all right so we've got a lot of stuff to cover in the communicator so shall we start i think we should Okay, folks, so first up on the communicator, a little news from the fine folks at the Specialized Project. So uh, there is a supergroup out there called the Lockdown All-Stars, and it is featuring our man, Chris Chrissy Boy Foreman, and they're going to be getting together, him, a few other class act musicians, um, and they're going to be doing a cover of the Queen classic, I Want to Break Free. So uh, a great project, a great, uh, interesting take on a song we all know. So I'm really looking forward to that. The proceeds on that will benefit the Teenage Cancer Trust and a youth music initiative. Uh, and just a quick note about that Queen classic. So I happen to be recording right now with my dog, Freddie Mercury. So if you hear a little bit of panting in the background, that's because of him. Oh, come on, Polly. We know it's really you. <laughs> what do you got, Lori? Well, um, we had a lot of other stuff, too. So I'm excited about that single because I, I can't wait to hear, you know, I think Chris is a spectacular guitarist. So that's going to be awesome. Um, so last week, I think it was, maybe the week before, a gentleman named John Rogers put out a YouTube video called The Liberty of Norton Folgate, Spittlefield's Walking Tour 4K. 
And from what I understand, that might have actually been indirectly inspired by our podcast. So uh, as you know, and as our listeners know, we did that two-part episode on Liberty of Norton Folgate. And my buddy, Robert Taverner, had listened to those and he reached out to John Rogers and said, hey, wouldn't it be a neat idea for you to do one of your little walking tour episodes about the Liberty of Norton Folgate? And so he did. So uh, I thought that was really kind of cool. He's also put out a book called This Other London, Adventures in the Overlooked City, which I have just started to read. It's available on Kindle for 99 cents. So um, I love anything about, you know, London history and stuff like that. So I'm really enjoying it so far. So shout out to John Rogers. Yeah, that would be really, really, really neat. Uh, if, uh, yeah, if that podcast of ours uh, inspired a walking tour, who knew? Um, so our friend Nick Woodgate, friend of the podcast, friend of Stateside Madness, and of course, he is the JoJo Man Band, has a new song called If Lori Can. We'll take a listen to that in a second, but Lori, is that about anybody we know? He said on Twitter that it's about me. <laughs> I, 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 I'm so flattered and so excited. Okay, you have to understand. Um, before the pandemic hit, I was the total karaoke junkie. And I, I love karaoke. And we had a conversation at the karaoke bar one night about, you know, there's songs about all these people, first names, right? You know, there, there's Daniel, there's Proud Mary. It's like just about every first name you can think of, there's a song, but there wasn't a song for Lori. So now there is, and I'm That's so happy. Great. I'm can we glad listen for to it? You. Can we listen I to think it? We, no, I, I don't actually think we should play that oh, one. Oh, well. You're overruled. I'm the editor. We're going to listen to it. Here we go. Thank you so much. Um, for our listeners, Nick's new album is available on Bandcamp. So Nick, again, is Woody's brother, and he's also written a number of songs for Madness. Very talented musician in his own right. Please go visit him on Bandcamp. Uh, his name is the JoJo Mand Band. Check out his music. Show him some love. Yeah, please do. And look for him on Amazing Radio or not look, but listen for him on Amazing Radio. And I do believe you can ask Amazing Radio um, to play JoJo Man Band. So please do that as well. 
What else? Yeah, we, I know. Great. I see we got a couple more things on the communicator. Yeah, I've been adding stuff. I'm sorry. I keep adding stuff to the list. So a uh, little bit belated. We'd like to wish our friends at Mad Chat a happy 10 year anniversary. 10 years, July 8th. So Mad Chat is one of the largest, if not the largest madness fan community on Facebook. And that's initially how I found, well, MIS and, and all of you guys. And uh, it really is a labor of love for the guys that run it, especially Brian Deerman, who is the owner of Mad Chat. He's been at it for 10 years now. So Brian and everybody on the Mad Chat team, congratulations on 10 years. We're looking forward to 10 more. Finally, I'd like to give a shout out to one of our listeners who's on Twitter, Mark of the Red X. Uh, we've been having conversation back and forth. And Mark says, I very much enjoy your podcast because for decades, I really do not have anyone to talk about the music with besides my sister, who I will be attending their shows in Oakland with me. So lovely conversation back and forth between uh, us and, and Mark of the Red X. And Mark, we really appreciate that you're listening and hope to meet up with you in Oakland. Polly and I will both be there. We'll have a get together. It'll be cool. That it will. So I'm looking forward to meeting you and your sister in Oakland. That ought to be fun. Should we get on to the real heart of the podcast? What are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to be talking about B-sides. For all you youngins out there that maybe aren't familiar with singles that used to come on the little seven-inch vinyl, and you would get the single on one side, and then the opposite side would usually be some kind of extra track or bonus track. It's called the B-side. And so today we're going to be going over the B-sides from 1979 to 1986. If we're going in chronological order, what's first, Polly? Okay, so first then would be Madness. Yes, the song, uh, the Prince Buster classic from 1963. So of course our boys both covered it and, and would have uh, inspired their name as well. And also the B-side, uh, to the print. So this would have come out on the two-tone label. Let's take a listen. So, Lori, go ahead. Give me your thoughts on the song. Oh, it's a fun song. It's a fun song. Now, I don't have the frame of reference that you do as far as Prince Buster. Not really familiar with the original. 
And normally I have a rule that I don't like when a band name checks themselves. But in this case, they're not really doing that, are they? Because they named themselves after this song, but it wasn't their own song initially. So I think we'll give Madness a pass on this. But like other bands that do that, where you're name checking yourself and your own music, that just seems a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't know. You're asking the guy with a very limited vocabulary. Lies, so. lies. Self-aggrandizing, maybe? Okay. I thought you said that you didn't have the vocabulary. Well, yeah. somebody got me one of those calendars. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I happen to love the song. I do love the Prince Buster song. It's a fairly faithful um, rendition, really, the, the Madness cover. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, what's not to love about it? It's got um, all the hallmarks of great Madness songs, even though it is covered. Uh, beat got that strong melody awful fun yeah it's, it's just a fantastic song so moving on to number two what do we got Lori? um next is mistakes let's give a listen Mistakes, which was the B-side to the single One Step Beyond. It was written by Mike Barson along with John Hassler. And John Hassler, you might recall from our previous episodes, was one of the founding members of the band. Um, what do you think of Mistakes, Polly? I mean, I'm all right with it. It's a little, little simplistic, you know, not big fan of uh, surf or rockabilly sound and guitar, but, you know, whatever. It's they were, they were young. It was an honest effort. There you go. So John Hassler has said when he was writing the lyrics for this, he says, they were playing a two chord vamp and I just went into the next room and wrote the lyrics. So there you have it. All right. So next, uh, let's take a listen to Stepping Into Line. Uh, also a Hassler composition along with Suggs and Chrissy Boy and it would have been the B-side to My Girl. I didn't want to I leave you behind but your clothes were stepping into line Too much self-pity Not enough nitty-gritty just when you were looking pretty, pretty boring, pretty drab Out of date, colours bad, suit not suiting, looking sad You should know it's 
right, Lori. So what are your thoughts with stepping into line? Uh, I, I like it. You know, it's every time I hear it, it gets stuck in my head. And I'm afraid that that's happened again. So now this is going to be stuck in my head all day. But it's uh, it's one of their better B-sides, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm okay with it. It's very fun, you know. And at that point, they were still playing pretty large to the nuttiest sound around. And, you know, that's got the nuttiest sound around. It really is. Um, it's fairly reminiscent of the trend of 1950s novelty songs, too, I think. Um, where cramming as many words as you can, as fast as you can, um, you know, had uh, played real well to the crowd back then. So, you know, it's a bit of an homage to that. Okay. Uh, next, we have the B-side to the single Baggy Trousers. So this was 1980. This is called The Business. The business. Now that's actually an instrumental version of the song Take It or Leave It, which was on the Absolutely album. Polly, how do you like the business? Yeah, I'm all right with it. I've always felt like Take It or Leave It was a bit disjunctive and not, um, I might call it maybe a Frankenstein uh, piece together song. Uh, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but when I listen to it, I kind of hear it that way. So then you've got that happening. And then when you take the vocals out of it, well, you're just left with something a little bit clunky, I think. Uh, the Business is not one of my favorite songs. Okay, that's fair. And when we did our episode on Absolutely, which was eons ago, I mean, it might've been like episode three or four, maybe. Uh, we talked a lot about the song, Take It or Leave It, and how it has some very unusual time signatures and time changes. As an instrumental song, I agree with you. It doesn't really do as much for me. And, you know, back around the time this was released, 1980, right? Late 70s, early 80s. That was really kind of a trend where um, a lot of these bands would release a, a single and then have an instrumental on the B-side. Uh, sometimes the instrumental of the song itself, that was actually very common. In this case, though, it was an instrumental version of another song off the album. And I... I guess the idea was they wanted to give the fans something that wasn't on the album because give them an additional incentive to buy the single as well as the album. Um, and that, that's obviously true of most of these B-sides that we're going to hear. But uh, yeah, you know, take it or leave it as far as the, uh, the business is concerned. I can leave it. All right. And up at number five is Crying Shame. Lori, let's take a listen to it. Oh, I can't cry in
thoughts on crying shame okay well so this was the b-side to the single embarrassment which is one of their absolute strongest singles in my opinion madness biographer john reed has called this song a a coasters flavored ditty right a throwback to the coasters which were what 1950s uh 50s, 50s uh late 50s i believe probably wrapped up in, in the neighborhood of like 1963 i think I'll be honest, this is not a genre of music that I really care much for. Uh, you know, this is like, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't really do much for me. I don't know, what do you think of Crying Shame? Uh, kind of the same. It's, it's, not, um, it's not a real uh, solid favorite of mine. And there's, there's a bit of weirdness going on in that. I'm surprised um, that uh, John Reed felt like it, uh, it was reminiscent of coasters. I really thought it was uh, sounded a great deal like Holland Dozier, Holland Motown. Again, they're not worlds apart. But there's something kind of peculiar going on in the song where the verses in the chorus, if you can even call it that, um, are just too close to each other in style, uh, sound, in meter. So it's really hard to pick out what the chorus is, if you can even say that it's got a chorus. Um, because the world's, words don't um, repeat word for word in those two segments, which, you know, I'm guessing are the chorus. So it's a, it's a bit bland of a song in, in that respect, I think. Yeah, I, it's not one of the band's strongest, and I think maybe that's why it was relegated to a B-side. Yeah, you know, that weird, weird speaking part, I don't, I don't get it. All right, well, next up we have the B-side from the 1981 single, The Return of the Lost Palmas 7. This is called, That's the Way to Do It. And I've been there, and I've been almost everywhere. There's not a thing that I can't repair, cause I'm saying, yes I am. Be a I'm a tradesman, I know all the tricks. There's not a thing Oh, that's the way to do it. This very clearly harkens back to the boys' days doing odd jobs before they were in a band or when they were first starting out. Polly, how do you like That's the Way to Do It? I, I actually genuinely uh, love this song. Um, I think it's, uh, if you think of um, That's the Way to Do It as a phrase that would come up in your life and in your conversation, um, many times, you know, in a day or a week or something like that. Um, and, and as it does with mine, as I in, instruct a staff of, uh, you know, many young people, um, I'm, I'm very prone to say that's the way to do it. 
every time I say it, man, does that song just pop into my head. Incredibly, incredibly catchy. Um, and it's got, as regular listeners know, it's got all of those elements. I love an imagined song. Very upbeat, very solid men, uh, melody. Um, yeah, it's just super fun. You know, when I hear someone say that's the way to do it, my mind goes right away to Punch and Judy. I don't know if you remember the old, you know, puppet Punch and Judy. And that was Punch's catchphrase. Whenever he dispatched with one of his enemies, that's the way to do it. So that's what I associate it with. One thing I really do love about this song, though, is the um, tools used as percussion. You know, you hear a hammer, you hear a saw. I like stuff like that. You know, it's, it's unexpected. But it fits with the context of the song about an odd job man. So I like this one too. That's a good one. We agree. Oh, wow. <laughs> Put this on the calendar, Polly. We agree on something. That's great. All right. So number seven, we've got Memories. So Memories, another Chris Foreman composition. And it would have been the B-side of Gray Day right back in 1981. Let's take a listen. crack at memories what are your thoughts about it well it's a, a sad song isn't it we made a good pair everyone agrees now all i've got are my memories but i think suggs's delivery is a little over the top i think he's kind of slipping <laughs> you think <laughs> yeah I, I, he, he's slipping into like wayne newton territory crooner territory you know and i, I don't know that it necessarily fits this particular song. The song itself, I think, is probably okay, but I really don't care for Suggs's vocals on this one. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't either. It's, it's funny. Uh, so I took notes. I did prepare for this episode, and I did have the crooning delivery as one of my notes that I wasn't crazy about, but I'd almost say it's got a bit of that hammy, vaudevillian sort of uh, sound to it. It's, uh, speaking specifically of Suggs' delivery on that line. Uh, yeah, whatever, you know, they tried. Um, not the, by, by far, not the, you know, the worst song. I'm sure there's uh, a market for everything, and I bet there's a ton of people who actually really jive on that, uh, that, um, that sort of uh, silly delivery on the song. So, you never know. Maybe we hear back from people who are like, that's my favorite. What are you no, saying about it? <laughs> well, so you say vaudevillian, and then to me, you know, I equate it with Vegas, right? Like Wayne Newton or something. Uh, you can tell Suggs is having fun with it, though. Yeah, totally. So, so there's that. So memories now is just a memory. Let's move on. 
the next single in the chronology was Shut Up. And the B-side for Shut Up is another instrumental. This one is called A Town With No Name. name and a song with no lyrics. Polly, what do you think of this one? Uh, I like it. I mean, how much use are you going to have for a Western theme instrumental song, really, in your in your day-to-day -day life? Um, so, you know, it's not as though you're going to grab this and throw it on the turntable just to listen to that song solely, but whatever. Whenever it comes up, I kind of like it. I mean, it's fun. And it's, a, it's adjacent to a town called Malice, too, so, you know. Yeah, they're it, near each other on the map. Yeah, it, it's just south of Wolverhampton. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, have a, I have in my notes that this was clearly inspired by Ennio Morricone's spaghetti Western theme songs. This was another one that was written by Chris Foreman. So that's three in a row, right? He wrote That's the Way to Do It. He wrote Memories. He wrote this one. I really enjoy this one because I think it really nicely showcases Chris's guitar playing style. He does have a very distinctive sound. And I think we're probably going to talk about that in our next episode. We're going to talk about Chris Foreman. And uh, I think we'll talk a lot more about his very distinctive sound, his very distinctive guitar playing. But this, this song really highlights that to me. And, and it's a fun song, as you said. Uh, another cool thing about Town With No Name, so I, uh, in doing research for episodes, I have a tendency to get on YouTube and see, you know, if there's any different versions or whatever is out there. And the first thing that pops up is a sweet, like, fan video somebody did with Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam. And it's fantastic, and it works beautifully. So everybody, don't turn off the podcast, but when you're done listening run right to your computer and go ahead and look up that video. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I love Bugs Bunny. All right, so the next one, look, it is another Chrissy Boy composition. Man, did he make a lot of B-sides. So it is Shadow on the House. Let's take a listen. Much more than my foolish pain has took a fall Mistakes that I have made And I have no doubt My hand was overplayed There's a shadow on my house The windows shed no light Since you've gone I feel so wrong I can't tell day from night Right, 
So Shadow on the House was the B-side of It Must Be Love in 1981. And I'm going to say right off the bat, that's a pretty good pairing to have on 145. So Lori, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm noticing a theme on some of these songs by Chris about breakup and heartbreak, right? I love the girl, but I messed her up. Now she's with another, so I found. They say better to have loved and lost than not have loved at all. But much more than my foolish pride has took a fall. I, I see what you're getting at, right? It's uh, the literally the flip side of it must be love, right? The opposite, love is now kind of falling apart. It, it's an okay song. It's not one of my favorites, but it's it's decent for what it is. And I think it was a good choice for the B side. Uh, what do you think, Polly? Well, uh, I'm always a fan sometimes of, uh, well, you know, the underdog a little bit. Somebody out there or something out there that just shouldn't be able to do it, just shouldn't work. And when, if you had a 1960s country Western style ballad done by the guys from Madness, it should be a total shit show. And honestly, I really like this song. I think it's really pretty cool. I could have seen it being done by George Joan or Del Reeves or somebody like that in the, in the 60s. And, you know, if I had, like, turned on the TV when I was growing up and saw Madness on Grand Old Opry doing this song, I would have lost my fucking mind. So it's really, really cool. Uh, yeah, there you go. It, it shouldn't work. I kind of think it does. Okay. So next we have a song we've talked about before in other episodes. This is the B-side of the 1982 single, Cardiac Arrest, In the City. Let's listen. So that was in the city. Polly, what are your thoughts? I, I, I'm fine with in the city. I do enjoy it. Um, you, you know, so <clears throat> at the risk of repeating myself too, too much, it's got all those elements I like. Anybody can rewind a couple uh, to hear what those are. Um, but you know, it's 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 fun. It's it's fun. Uh, there's a bit of video out there associated with it that everybody should check out. Um, and I do believe, Lori, you're going to comment on that. What's the significance of In the City? Okay, so this was actually written for a series of Japanese Honda commercials. Um, Madness really kind of had a cult following in Japan. This whole nutty sound and image was the, their nutty sound and image really kind of started to take off in Japan in a very interesting way. And so Honda hired the band to do some commercials and wanted them to use driving in my car. 
But the band said, no, we would like to write a new song specifically for these Honda commercials. And this is what we ended up with in the city. I recommend Google the Japanese Honda ads with madness. Some of them are absolutely hilarious. You got Chaz with his full beard and, and uh, there's, there's one with like a weird toy horse and, and it, they're just so absolutely wacky. It's what you would expect from madness in Japan. Um, as far as B-sides go, I would say this is probably my favorite out of all the B-sides. Oh yeah. It really, it plays to all of Madness's strengths. It's got the kind of wacky, nutty, fun sound, uh, very, you know, catchy chorus. We got Lee Sachs, you know, um, it's, what's not to like? I don't disagree. Okay, so the next one we're going to listen to, again, a Chris Borman composition. It is Don't Look Back, and it would have been the B-side to House of Fun in 1982. Any information on that song? Sure. So um, if you've ever seen the film Madness, Take It or Leave It, you probably recognize the song. It was the scene where they're having the conversation about how the band was forced to play in the back garden. And then they later reworked it into a B-side. I like this one a lot. Uh, it's got kind of a, a neat mood to it. You know, almost... Uh, not really a, I don't, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not really a dark mood, but it's got this kind of edge to it that a lot of madness stuff doesn't really have. So I think this is one of their better, better B-sides. What do you think of this one, Polly? Uh, well, it's an interesting take. At that point, it would have been uh, a little bit different than most of um, their repertoire. So it's got a little bit of that white boy funk kind of thing happening. You know, uh, Chris definitely took a, a takeoff of Nile Rodgers from Chic a little bit with his guitar styling. I mean, it's it's a fine song. Um, you know, I, I do find it enjoyable, but you know, it's not one of my go-tos. Okay. Um, it is a really interesting counterpoint to the A-side, which was House of Fun. A, a, a very, very different sound. So I, I, I like that. You know, you don't want two songs that sound exactly the same. So I think it balances House of Fun out nicely. So that House of Fun single, that was not actually on one of their albums, at least not initially. The next single also was not from one of their albums. The next single was Driving in My Car. And the B-side was called Animal Farm. Let's listen. This is a tool. <laughs> I 
Okay, so the full title of that song is Animal Farm, Tomorrow's Dream, Warp Mix. And very clearly it was named after the George Orwell story, Animal Farm. Polly, what do you think of this one? I'm all right with it. Um, you know, it takes a lot for me to get kind of jazzed about very nearly any instrumental version of an already existing song. Uh, songs that are instrumental from their origin, I have an easier time dealing with. Uh, whatever, you know, it's it's a thing. Uh, not that crazy about it. Okay. So it is an instrumental version of the song Tomorrow's Dream. And that was on seven. And I didn't care for the original even with the lyrics, but I like this one even less, I'm sorry to say. I mean, it's got all these wacky sound effects in it and stuff. It sounds like somebody just kind of discovered some sound effects on a synth and just kind of dropped them in. Mm -hmm. um, not a super big fan of this one, so. Yeah, and you could totally make a thousand song list of all the people who did just really improper use of synthesizers in the very early 80s. I mean, I know it's, I, they didn't know what it would eventually, how good it would eventually become. So it was new and fresh and it was a fun thing, but boy, isn't it hard listening to a lot of songs where they're just tinkering around and stuff. Well, I think a lot of artists were still figuring it out. It was still very new, you know, but not everybody can be Brian Eno. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so at number 13, we've got Walking with Mr. Weeze. So Walking would have been the B-side of, well, I don't know if fans are going to know what this song is, but it would have been the B-side of our house in 1982. Let's take a listen. thoughts on walking with Mr. Weeze? Well, you know, again, as far as their instrumental compositions, I think this is a fun one. It's, it almost kind of sounds like a few different songs in one where it's got some very distinctive sections, kind of like what we would start to see more of when they did that 10 minute Liberty of Norton Fulgate, where I'm kind of wondering if maybe this wasn't a few put together. It really does showcase, I think, Mike's piano. It showcases Lee's sax very nicely. Uh, somebody named Artie Fischel on Twitter commented this morning, walking with Mr. Wheeze as the B-side to our house, the best value 99p single that Woolies ever sold. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I, I like it as far as madness instrumentals go. Um, what do you think? I mean, I'm all right with it. Uh... I wouldn't want to say exactly the same thing two songs in a row. So why don't we just say that everything I just said 
about Animal Farm for the most part applies to walking with Mr. Lee's. Okay, that's fair. And I, I to me, they're they're two very different songs. I like Walking with Mr. Lee's. I don't really care for Animal Farm. So, so tomorrow's just another day. Was a Madness single in 1983. Now we're calling this a B-side, but technically this was released as a double A-side. So the flip side of Tomorrow's Just Another Day was a song written by Chris Foreman called Madness Is All In The Mind. for worry and I've not got a lot to say never find me in a hurry because I live my life day by day people say that I'm crazy but I'm not that way So, Polly, is madness all in the mind? Uh, it may be. Um, you know, I'm all right with this song. Um, I don't think it's one of their stronger ones. It is a bit show tuny, a bit um, crooner-esque. And so the, the delivery of the line, madness is all in the mind, is very reminiscent of what Sinatra used to do, which was to use an ascending scale then punctuated at the end. So madness is all in the mind. Um, so, you know, take that for whatever it is. I just noticed it. Um, I'm all right with it. Uh, it's not one of their stronger songs. What do you think, Lori? I'm going to disagree that it's not one of their stronger songs. I really like this one. Uh, now, it's very clearly inspired by the song Fever, as popularized by Peggy Lee, right? You give me fever. Fever, right? But um, I think it's a perfect song for Carl, for his his delivery, his vocal range. I think he can he I think he pulls it off. I think maybe if they had tried this with Suggs on vocal, I think it would have sounded corny and over the top the way um, the way Memories does. So I like this one. So I guess we're going to disagree on this one. All right. So next up, the B-side Wings of Dove in 1983, and it is Behind the Eight Ball.
All right, Lori, another thoughts on another instrumental. It's not bad. It's not bad. I'm starting to realize as we're listening to a lot of these B-sides together that I think I'm starting to suffer from a little bit of instrumental burnout. Mm -hmm. Whereas if these were, you know, interest first, you know, released, you know, these were released months or even years apart, I think maybe I wouldn't be feeling that way. Now, the expression behind the eight ball, as you probably know, Polly, um, comes from pool, or I guess as they call it over in Britain, billiards, where if the eight ball is between the cue ball and the ball you're trying to hit, you're basically out of luck because the eight ball is like poison. You're not allowed to hit it with the cue ball. So it's an expression that means in trouble or an awkward position out of luck. I like the kind of very heavy piano sound with it. Uh, you know, I'm all right with it. Um, something I did just remember for my kind of limited knowledge of um, record company business is um, there would be a reason for a lot of instrumentals as B-sides in general. And that's because um, when they've wrapped up an album, they don't really have plans necessarily for what is going to be released as a single and what is not. And so a lot of times they finish up in the studio, they do the mastering, they do the mixing and things like that. And then they send it off to the rep record company, although the record company already often gets advanced uh, copies and, and things like that, have a sense of what's going on. But often they're just kind of surprised by whatever lands on their desk. Um, and so uh, it gets passed back and forth um, between probably management, band, record company as what is going to be a single. And um, so they'll decide on a single. They may then, after the fact, go looking for what the B-side is going to be. And often there's not enough uh, or a lot of stuff ready, really. So it's kind of the equivalent of, you know, that day on Monday, you haven't done your laundry over the weekend and you're like, shit, I need underpants. So you're digging through everything. So that's kind of like the you know, coming up with something to put on the B-side is the audio equivalent, equivalent of that desperate look for underpants. So there you go. That's why they might come up with a lot of instrumentals. We got nothing, but if we just take the lyrics off, there's something to throw on the B-side. So why don't we move on to the next song, which is called Fireball XL5. It was the B-side of the single, The Sun and the Rain, one of my favorites. Let's listen. I saved a little bit of money from Christmas come up when my birthday nearly due. I'm dressing up as guy in a shopping arcade of you a penny for a born in blue. I see the advertised on TV show flashed up on the evening news. My local MP said I should grin and bear it, but I'd rather go and blow her fuse. Money estate I used to love. I eat 30 rock kids at a shilling each. I you should have seen the front doors go right on, right on. Right on, right on. Right on, right on. Right on, right on. Let it talk, Super. All right, so that was Fireball XL5 with the one and only Lee Thompson on vocals. I'm going to ask you what you think of that one, Polly, even though I already know. But tell our listeners, please, what do you think of Fireball XL5? 
Okay, so for probably the third time on the podcast, I'm just going to say it is quite possibly like my second favorite Madness song. Um, I, I just absolutely love this song. Um, and I think it's a shame. <laughs> I think it's a shame it's a B-side. I mean, this song is totally worthy of, for one, being on an album. And two, it should just be the, a single regardless. I mean, it is fantastic. And it's, although I've, I've said there's some comparisons to songs that would be much, much later on. I think I mentioned um, Ministries, Jesus Built My Hot Rod, but that's sort of over the top, um, almost, you know, demonic sort of uh, crazy man delivery on it. You know, I love that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, but, you know, at the time, it wasn't a great deal like it. It's a great deal reminiscent of like Rocket 88, which I guess would have preceded that. But uh, yeah, you know, it's unique and it's fantastic. I was very interested to learn that there was a British puppet TV series in the 60s called Fireball XL5. So that was not available to us over here in America. But apparently it was about a spaceship called Fireball XL5, which was commanded by Colonel Steve Zodiac. So I imagine that that show provided the inspiration for the name of the song. So next up is a Mike Barson composition. It's If You Think There's Something, and it would have been the B-side to Michael Caine. Let's take a listen. thinking it's okay it's 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 decent i mean it's not spectacular uh, thinking about what was happening with the band at this time so michael kane was right around the time that mike barson left the band so this kind of i'm almost wondering if this is like one of the leftovers you know where it's like this is kind of a throwaway or something it, it's not bad but it's not one of my favorites how about you? What do you think? I, I don't like it. Um, that delivery, that staccato delivery is like, I could, whenever I hear that, I can only think of Elaine's uh, shitty dancing on Seinfeld, that disjuncted sort of spastic friggin' thing that's going on. No, I am not cool with this song. All right. Well, on that note, how about we move on to Guns. That was the B-side of One Better Day, 1984. Let's listen. I read a brand new paper The man who had a thousand guns Lived in the southern states Well away from everyone felt it wasn't safe Even in the 60s 
southern states I read a brand new paper Walking down my own street The man with a thousand guns Was taken to his feet He felt it wasn't safe Even in the southern states He thought that he might die Was he frightened by All right, Polly, how do you like guns? I, I do like guns. I really, really, really do. Um, I think it's um, uh, great for one of them to have uh, written a song uh, that's you know so thematic and not um, not uh, really much of the, that's worked into their their sort of portfolio before. So it's a bit different for them. Um, and it's a heavy topic, yet it's uh, it's it's a still really really fun song. You know, we, yeah, we I guess we've talked about this a bunch of times, whether our, our boys are able to take something um, like that, something a little bit heady and a little bit somber, and make it fun. And uh, I do enjoy it. Um, I think it's a really 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 good sort of companion piece to uh, the Valentine's Blam Blam Fever. Um, if you haven't heard that, everybody should, because it's awesome. And um, our friends in the specials uh, recorded their own version of that on their last album. So I see a lot of comparisons, two songs I really, really love. Um, yeah, I think it's a fine, fine effort. Lori, what about you? Well, it's unique in that this was the first Madness song with words and music written solely by Suggs. And it's also unique because that's actually Chris Foreman playing keyboards, not Parson. I think it's kind of a dopey song, uh, especially, I'm sorry, the beginning. Uh, uh, snugs, 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 which, you know, now that I've seen the first of that three-part documentary series before we was we, where Suggs is talking about the graffiti that was on the wall and his mother was like, oh, isn't that that name they call you, Snugs? <laughs> so when I hear the beginning now, Snugs, Snugs, it, it, now I see that in a whole different light. But yeah, I'm sorry, it's a thumbs down for me. Okay, uh, let's move on then. So All I Knew, written by Snugs, um, it is the B-side <laughs> of... It's the B-side of Yesterday's Men, getting a little late in their portfolio. It's 1985. Let's take a listen. Here comes an honest-looking man with his round face and his fat hand. See the news, there he is. With the answer to the last quiz I could never know what I then knew In a million years I could never know what I used to In a million tears Turn it on, we will see Everything today Right, Lori, take a crack at it. What do you think about All I Knew? 
So I kind of like this one. It's a little more introspective, maybe a little more down tempo, but I think it kind of fits with where the band was at this time, right? So it's the B-side of Yesterday's Men, which as we know was on the album Mad Not Mad, and they were taking their sound in a different direction. I kind of like this one. What do you think? Uh, for for that period, for that year, for what they were doing, I actually think it is a really good song. I'll, I'd go ahead and say, aside from the Scritti Politi cover, I think it's better than any song that was that made the cut on Mad Not Mad. Hmm. Low low bar indeed, but you know, um, yeah, I, I'm all right with it. I think it's a it, it's a, it's a fine offering. Okay, so now they bring. Send your hate mail and your emails and your messages to Lori. Um, yeah, that's probably going to upset a fair amount of people. <laughs> I'll just forward them to you, Polly. Okay, so from the same time period, right, the Man Not Man album. So the next single off that album was called Uncle Sam. And the B-side of Uncle Sam was another Chris Foreman composition, Please Don't Go. Let's listen. Please don't go. All right, fine, fine. I'll stay. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm all right with please don't go. It's it's a bit, um, uh, I think, a bit, uh, you know, more mainstream poppy than I'm comfortable with, but but uh, it, it's all right. Uh, you know, I'm with you. Uh, it, it reminds me of a monkey's song. It's got. I was going to say, I was going to say Neil Sedaka. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, but then Neil, I think Neil Sadaka actually wrote some monkey songs. Oh, did he? See, now I that so. I didn't know. Okay, so again, with first of all, we got Chris Foreman writing. I, I would say probably the vast majority of the B-sides have a Chris Foreman writing credit, which to me is interesting. But again, if you listen to the lyrics, there's this theme of sadness and, and loss. But when we kissed and when we touched, it used to mean so very much but now you're cold and want to go. So I'm seeing Chris in a very different light after listening to some of these songs in this episode. You know, I never really would have kind of thought of him as being this, you know, kind of sad, wistful, heartbroken songwriter. But that really seems to be coming through in a lot of these songs that we're listening to today. So up next, we've got Jenny. Also maybe referred to as Jenny, a portrait of and it's a composition by Tom Owen Woody. Came out in 1986, and it would have been the B-side of The Sweetest Girl. 
Lori, you did some research on here. You got a lot, a lot of notes. Do you want to take this? Sure, sure. So um, apparently there was a 1940 fantasy novel called Portrait of Jenny by American author Robert Nathan. And he spells the name the same way that Tom Owen Woody spelled for this song, J-E-N-N-I-E, -E, which is an unusual spelling. So the plot summary, and I'm reading here, so bear with me. A struggling depression era artist encounters a young girl in a park who inspires him to paint portraits instead of landscapes. As he repeatedly encounters the girl, each time she is several years older and is apparently slipping through time. So it's almost kind of this supernatural thriller. Um, it was later made into a film starring Jennifer Jones, Ethel Barrymore, and Lillian Gish as Mother Mary of Mercy. And we heard that in the song, we hear Mother, Mother of Mercy. The lyrics are definitely referencing either the book or the movie, possibly both. You know, it could fill an eternity, her big sad eyes that stare. This is really interesting to me because again, we have madness reaching into like literature, novels, film. I mean, th this, this is a very intelligent basis for songwriting. This isn't like just fluff, you know what I mean? And I, I really respect them for that. What are your thoughts on Jenny? I, I actually don't know that I'd add a lot new to that. Um, I think I would just... Um... Uh, agree with the point you just made um and uh yeah you know i think they made it they took a, a good crack at it and i think they were reasonably successful yeah i you know this is again i think one of the better b-sides that we're listening to today i i do like this one all right so that leads us to 1986 the band's final single before they broke up waiting for the ghost train and the B-side, which is being sung by Lee Thompson, is called Maybe in Another Life. another life you can kind of hear i think the the sense of regret coming through um what do you think of this song polly yeah so yeah no surprise there uh i think the writing was on the wall they were breaking up um how cool it would have been if they would have called it maybe in another six years because that would have been about the length of time it would have taken them to start uh talking about getting back together but yeah you know uh listen to this a fair a lot for having the ghost train 
single. And uh, I do I do really like the song. I do too. And, and not just because Tomo's singing it, but I do really love the man's voice. I mean, I know he's primarily the sax player, but he's got this beautiful velvet baritone. I, I, any song that he sings, I'm very happy with. Um, yeah, it really takes a lot for Laurie to get to like something by Lee Thompson too. So that's saying a lot. You don't just love everything he does because he's super cuddly. If he were to give me a hug, I wouldn't object. All right, so that brings us to, I guess, the end of the B-sides, at least up until 1986. So some of our listeners might have noticed, if you're familiar at all with the two record store day releases, what are they called? I do like to be B-side, the A-side. There you go. Um, so they were record store day releases. There was part one, which was last year, part two, which was this year. They were not released in the United States. They were only released in the UK. But some of our astute listeners might have noticed that the tracks that we went through were also the tracks on these two record store day releases, because that's what they were. They were B-sides. You probably noticed, and I, I think I've pointed out a few times, how many of the songs this week were written by Chris Foreman. In two weeks, roughly corresponding with Chris's birthday, we're going to be doing a tribute episode to Chrissy Boy. So we'll be counting down our, uh, our favorite songs written by Chris. We'll be talking a little bit about the man and his contributions and his talents. I have to say, since you and I have started doing this podcast, Polly, I've really gained an appreciation for how much Chris actually contributes to the band. I always just kind of thought of him as, you know, the guitarist and, and you know, okay, maybe he's, you know, penned a few choruses here and there. But I've really started to appreciate, especially after talking with some of our guests, like Steve Martin, I really started to gain an appreciation for just how much creatively Chris Foreman contributes to the band. So this is going to be a very, very good episode. So um, as I mentioned, he does have a birthday coming up on August 8th. So we're going to be releasing this episode on Chris's birthday. I hear through the grapevine, he might listen to some of our episodes. So I hope he will. And you see my note here, Polly. It says, perhaps Polly will debut the Chris Quaffian calendar, which you have been teasing for months. I will see what I can do. Okay. Uh, I know it's, it's a bit of an inside joke with us here. It's my attempt at being very witty about Chris and his hairstyles. And I am quite pleased with myself because I think I'm really funny, particularly around this little thing. So yeah, I'll try to get something together for the podcast. Um, I hope that fans embrace it and I hope Chris doesn't strangle me uh, when he hears me talking about it. Might uh, confront you backstage, huh? Maybe. <laughs> It would still be an honor. It would still be an honor to be pummeled by my, my, my favorite man, Chris. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the uh, episode and to just kind of, again, agree with everything you said. Chris has been um, uh, instrumental in the band, figuratively and literally. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's been great to us. So it'll be, it'll be real fun talking about him. Yeah, he's always very kind, always uh, retweeting our, um, our tweets, advertising our, our podcast episodes and stuff, which we really appreciate. 
Following that episode, there's another birthday coming up in August, betters. So after the Chris episode, we're gonna do an episode on betters and the betters episode, Polly, corresponds to our one year anniversary recording this podcast. Can you believe it? I, I can't. Um, yeah, what a, what a year it's been. So we're gonna be teasing, I guess right now, we're planning a, a giveaway for our listeners to celebrate our one year anniversary. So that's gonna be coming up in August. So you'll wanna stay tuned. That you will. All right, so our closing song this week is going to be a cover of Stepping Into Line by a band called System of Hate. So this is more of like a, a, a punk version, maybe, maybe bordering on thrash, but I mean, it really has an edge to it. I love when an artist takes a madness song and doesn't try to duplicate it, tries to give it their own spin. And they've really succeeded on this. It's a completely different vision of the song. So stepping into line by System of Hate. That's how we're going to leave you today. Polly, we did it. We made it through another episode. Yay. <laughs> Yay. And it, and it was fun. And yeah. uh, I, like, I like these episodes. I do like giving feedback on songs, but I think fans probably like hearing a bit more of the music and a little, maybe a little bit less of me. So I'm hoping everybody enjoys it out there. We'll see everyone back in two weeks for the Chris Foreman episode. It's a goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. <laughs>